Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 155, recorded on July 21st of 2021. Uh, the Photo Geekery Show, uh, where I'm your host, Don Kamarechka, and I just kind of go through the news as I would even if I wasn't recording this podcast find the geekiest stories in the photo industry, uh, read them thoroughly and have opinions about them. But thankfully, there is a podcast that I get to uh, opine um, and, uh, and discuss these, uh, these interesting opinions with a guest. And this week on the podcast, I have my good friend out in Tübingen, Germany, Alan Attridge. Alan, how are you doing today? We're doing pretty good. How are you doing? More importantly, I think we just dodged... <laughs> a uh, uh, natural disaster here, brief, barely, as did you at the exact same time. At the exact same time, Barrie, Ontario, and the surrounding areas in Ontario. Uh, well, we had a tornado touchdown in the city. I think there was five in total from that storm. Uh, lots of damage to homes. Thankfully, uh, nobody died that I'm aware of. Uh, some serious injuries uh, as I'm told, but uh, no, it was on the other end of town for us. So a couple of kilometers away and we were fine. But um, I saw some pretty nasty stuff happening in, in Western Germany. Uh, how far away was that, uh, that flood scenario from you guys? Uh, that one was a couple hours away by car. So it, it wasn't, wasn't, that one wasn't very close. We'd had flooding uh, five days earlier here, right here in Tübingen that uh, affected us a little bit, mostly pumped out basements. People had, I, we came home to, uh, I was at the ballpark with my son and we kind of got stranded there. Uh, massive, massive hail. Like, honestly, if people say, oh, golf ball size hail, well, this is bigger than that. This is like, like bigger than golf balls come down, wrecked everybody's car, cars, including ours. That um, sucks. And insurance covers that, I hope. Insurance covers that for the most part, but uh, yeah, so they, that was a lot of damage was done and, and nothing you can do about it. You're just stuck there and uh, a lot of flash flooding, like, you know, the old town was turned into rivers and stuff like that. Um, fortunately, not to her, a tremendous amount of damage where we were, like I said, came home and found a lot of our neighbors getting their, their basements pumped out by the fire department. Uh, we'd somehow dodged it. Uh, but did, did they not have later, sump pumps in Germany? Uh, I don't know. We, 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 where we live, we're, we're okay. We're sort of on the high side. And so it's not, it doesn't seem to be an issue for us, but, uh, yeah. So then, and then a couple of days later it hit up North and then I guess a couple of days later it hit down South in, in Austria. So it's kind of, you know, crazy interesting time. times. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to be all doom and gloom. I think that these, <laughs> uh, these scenarios will become more common, but I, I don't think that it's going to radically change, uh, at least during our lifetime, but, uh, t tornadoes have been, I, I don't want to say they're common here. Um, every couple of years, there's the threat of one. I think there was a, like a, an FE four class tornado sometime in the eighties, um, in this area. And it did some massive, massive damage. Right. Yeah. So, hey, it, 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 there's precedent to it. But still, you know, you see all the forest fires and you think, OK, well, you know, my, my solution to this whole climate change thing is a pretty simple one. I think I've mentioned it to you before. Just just plant trees, plant a lot of trees because trees breathe in CO2 and they breathe out oxygen and the C, the carbon stays in the trees. They're gigantic carbon sequestration devices. Um, and uh, of course, that problem goes up in flames when the trees do. Right. But see, what burns in a forest fire? It's trees. So I think we cut all the trees down and no more forest fires. 
I okay. Um, that all of them. That would stop the forest fires. Uh, <laughs> problem solved. I'm here to solve problems, Don. Uh, yeah, I think that would create more problems than it solves. Don't cut down all the trees. If you're listening, I was joking about cutting down the trees. Don't do it. Uh, I remember growing up in uh, in Sudbury, Ontario, uh, which the, the Sudbury and the surrounding areas. I went to school in Falconbridge, uh, which is another nearby town, and um, they did ground level smelting. Which before they had all the smokestacks to to do things properly, they basically made the entire environment toxic and killed all the trees. So that's one way to get rid of the uh, rid of the trees as well, Alan. But um, so when I was in elementary school, the schools uh, at least one day a year, uh, all of the kids. Maybe this was like just some form of child labor. I never really looked at it that way. But uh, we had a tree planting day where we would go out and plant thousands of trees. And uh, recently I drove back through some of those areas where I had, uh, as a child laborer, uh, replanted forests. And now there are forests there again. And so that's a wonderful thing to see. Um, So those efforts, I think, are a good idea. But we're not here to talk about that stuff. No, we're here to talk about photo stuff. Um, And there's some interesting stories that I found this week. I'm really curious what your take is uh, on some of these things. And some of them haven't been widely covered. One of them arrived uh, to me just in my inbox. Uh, maybe it's not widely covered because it's Canon Canada that's doing it, but got another Canadian on the line, so might as well uh, put right. some uh, put some CanCon into the podcast, as it were. Um, so Futures Canon Creator Lab is this program that Canon Canada is uh, pioneering, I guess I could call it. Um, Deadline is August 16th to apply uh, to Futures, Canon Canada's first ever creative incubator. And Futures is a 12-month, I'm I'm reading from the website here. Oh, uh, the incubator part. That sounds very um, Silicon Valley. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So Futures is a 12-month mentorship journey designed to equip passionate and emerging storytellers between the ages of 18 and 24 with the opportunity to expand your knowledge of the craft, broaden your creative spectrum, and develop your skills. This will be a hybrid program with a series of virtual workshops and an exclusive all-expenses-paid in-person retreat to one of the most beautiful places in the world, Banff, Alberta, uh, co-hosted with our partners, um, uh, Socality. And yeah, Banff is beautiful. If you've never been, uh, you know, put that on on your bucket list. I'll read the next paragraph and then we'll discuss. So um, the workshops are filled with industry insights, portfolio and skill building assignments, uh, and exclusive access to professional mentors. They don't state who they are, though. Plus, Canon will also be equipping our 20 hand-selected creators with their very own EOS R full-frame mirrorless camera kit. And again, they don't specify exactly what the kit is, but it's their new mirrorless stuff. By the end of the program year, you will have the tools and knowledge to grow your personal brand and business as a young creator. Take the first step into your future, I guess is their tagline. Um, so I'm assuming you've had a uh, you know some time to take a look at what they're producing here. Uh, yes. what, what do you think? Um, well, which side are you taking, pro or con? I'm I'm on both. I got comments both ways. Okay. I I I'm I'm not sure. You, the note you sent me was, "Who is this? Is this what the kids need?" And uh, I I don't think so. Now, I'm not a kid, uh, although I look young, Don. But the the 
This is I, a I got, round. Hey, Alan, I got carded at the LCBO the other day. Okay. Okay, I did not. The gray hair is a dead <laughs> giveaway. Um, it's my gray back hair that tells them exactly how old I am. But the the this was the age I, I was when I went to to film school in this range of the 18 to 24. And so I can kind of understand the the idea of going to something like this and, and that. But looking back, now when I went to film school in 1998, the 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 technology boom hadn't reached everybody yet. So like um, we, they were just starting to shoot with, with digital video, like DV cameras, which was the, the Sony VX 1000. Yes. Yep. That's what it's called. Okay. And that was, I mean, that was about a six or a $7,000 camera at the time, uh, not HD and, and not, it was, it was cool, but they just weren't accessible. You weren't going to go buy one on your own. So you, you still, you still sort of had to go to film school. Because we, we we had to edit on a like a, on a, on the Avid and the, and the baby Avids they called them they were about a twenty thousand uh, dollar expense and so really quickly in order to go out and do anything you're gonna have to drop about thirty thousand bucks just to get started just to have that in your hands and now it's no longer that case right uh, no, pretty well hundred. any camera uh, yeah. can be your creative tool at any price point and yes and a of laptop. Course, and a laptop, and, and there's a sliding scale in terms of uh, quality, but it really does boil down to the skill that you have as a content creator, film or uh, or still, uh, you know, uh, visual arts. That skill is important, but the ways you learn it now, you don't need to have this. Uh, you know, when I went to um, uh, Seneca at York University, which was a program I flunked out of, by the way, but they they did loan me. I, I was taking software development. They loaned me some camera gear uh, to take to the Electronic Entertainment Expo in 20, uh, 2006, I think. Um, and it was some of the you know big, expensive gear that I'd never be able to afford myself. And, uh, and so you would have this massive equipment locker where you could check out any, any gear that was required for your learning and education and skills. Scrap that. And learn from YouTube, learn from other peers in the industry that are recording and sharing content to learn from, or just learn on your own, as some people do. Do yeah. you need the traditional education model? And, and that that means um, could be like this mentorship thing that Canon is doing, where it's somewhat more formal, a uh, cohort of 20 students. Uh, or I, I know my uh, my alma mater, uh, Georgian College. I, I've at least heard people saying that their photography program is now shut down uh, because right. there's not a whole lot of reason why that's required. But this is different. This is different because you're not paying for this, right? right. Canon no, is putting there, this out here for free. But there is there's still there's still a need to learn things. Uh, like in, in the formal education, like I, I think the disappearance of formal education uh, makes sense in a lot of cases, but you still need to learn. Like, for, for example, you have to learn math. I promise you have to learn math, sort of, because I teach my kids. I, I, I teach my I help my kids learn math at home extracurricularly from from the school. But what I do is I actually teach my kids how to not have to do math. Like I sit down and I, I show them, we do real world things. Like since they're very little, probably child abuse, but um, <laughs> when they were starting at two years old and uh, we would sit at the table and we would take physical objects. Like I would take 10 of the same thing, um, these little discs that they would build things out of. 
and say, okay, here, separate this into two equal piles, you know, 10, and they quickly do it and it become, it become five and five. And they were learning division. And then we would do addition, subtraction, multiplication. And so by the time my kids were three, they were, they understood what, you know, what eight squared meant because they could see it. Right. Because it was out in the real, real world, but I was teaching them how to not do math because math is this weird expression of the real world that nobody gets. It's an, it's an abstract, which is it what, is. which is what photography and art is. It's an abstract, but with a set, a set base of knowledge that you should have in order to perform that. So I would much like in terms of formal training, I would much prefer they cover things like the history of cameras, film, storytelling, how has storytelling evolved over the last hundred years, hundred plus years now, as tech, as tech has gotten out of the way, really, in, in, in my opinion. But I would love if they taught that and then get you to the point where, okay, what else, what do you want to know technically you can find on YouTube? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you do need to learn some fundamentals in terms of, uh, you know, what storytelling is and, and, and ethics and, uh, and sort of the, the history, as you mentioned. Uh, you, I, I want to go back to, to math, though, for a second, because there's a lot of shortcuts that, you know, my daughter's only five. So, you know, I haven't gotten to teach her some of these yet. But I, I had issues in school because I learned math in a way that was not taught to me. Right. And, and I, when I was asked to show my work, I would show the wrong work, like from what the teachers wanted, but I got to the mm -hmm. right answer. Um, and so like, it, it, if I could tell you what 49 times 50 is 2,450, because you just, you break it apart into components. You just do 50 times 50, which is, you know, five times five is 25, add the two zeros, it's 2,500, but then you minus 50 from that. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd show that work and I would get a fail. Uh, right. because I did not do it the way that it was supposed to be done in my teacher's logbook of what they were teaching us. And, uh, and I always detested that because if I got to the right answer, if I found my own way to get there, um, that should actually be encouraged and celebrated to some degree. So long as I'm not opening myself up to like a, a, a potential point of failure where there's tons of exceptions to this particular rule. And, and if you don't <laughs> learn it the right way, uh, you know, like cutting corners, uh, a la Intel's FDIV bug on the Pentium 60 from the early 90s. Um, don't cut corners that, you know, will cause problems, but that doesn't mean you can't find multiple ways to do the same thing. Right. And then that, that, that applies very much to, to photography. So I do like what they're doing. I mean, first of all, sending 20, 20, probably R5s, let's be honest, uh, R5s out, uh, to, to, to young people. And, and they did mention a price kit. for the total value of the kit was something just North of 20, uh, uh, $3,200 Canadian, uh, okay. $3,229 and 97 cents. So they that's really the know what's that's, going in that kit. <laughs> that's the R6 then it sounds like to me. Probably if you're, you know, wrap in a lens and memory and all that. Either way you can send me, yeah, I, I'm in, you send me one. That sounds good. That sounds great. Um, but the one thing, one, one of the things, so I, I read through a lot of what, what the liter literature they had, and there was a lot of questions. And so the question was, what do I need to do to graduate from the futures program? There's no curriculum per se. Well, and, 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 and there's, there's nothing that states that you either graduate or you don't. It's just like it, you're graded on your attendance, I guess. I'm not sure. It, the answer was excellent because they use an ex exclamation uh, mark. And I, I always like when people have the, 
the wherewithal to use that. So to graduate from the program, we need to see you grow. To do that, you must work closely with the program mentors and complete all the workshops and assignments. So graduation, eh, not really a thing. I, I, I would not. You grow hold. through kindergarten, right? I mean. Well, <laughs> I, I never. So after, after graduating from film school uh, way back in 1998, I was, I was given a degree, I think. I don't know. It was an envelope, and they told me your degree is in here. I never opened the envelope. Until many years later, I needed to prove to uh, the German government that I had some form of post-secondary education in order to qualify for a lifetime visa. Aha. So I broke out uh, that envelope, and sure enough, inside there was a diploma uh, from, from the film school. And it, I, I, never ha- I never needed it in life. It was just a matter of, hey, can you do this? Yes, I can do this. Okay, you're hired. That's how, that's how life actually works, turns out. The All right. really cares. <laughs> So, well, but, especially in the creative space, right? You you get known by your reputation, your skills, what you can do when somebody asks you to do it. And um, and I've been asked to do stuff that's been really, really hard. And I say, yeah. well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try, uh, and I'll know pretty quickly in my attempt whether or not uh, you're actually gonna pay me or not. Um, and uh, and they say, okay, go for it, and and I do, and it's a success. But you know. It's those moments where they contacted me because I had already done some really hard stuff. Right. And my name was thrown around from one uh, production company to another. And they said, well, uh, this guy can probably do it. Uh, give him a call. And and so, you know, we, we carry on from there. Uh, but that hasn't always worked. Some of the attempts that I've <laughs> made to, to do things um, have... I don't want to say that they failed. Um, the uh, The resulting product that I delivered was not what was originally asked for, but it right. still worked. Uh, okay, well, like the, the two thousand four hundred and fifty. The uh, I got I got hired. I got hired. This is like right out of film school. I was not a sound guy. I, I knew enough about sound capture to and and whatever to be dangerous. Um, but that was about it. I couldn't, I wasn't a thing I did. I didn't specialize in it at all. And I got a, I got a call from this, um, reality dating show, like a, like a, like a syndicated reality dating show that you may or may not have heard of depending how old you are. And it was traveling through, they, they, they were shooting like 10 episodes in Vancouver. Need a sound guy. Hey, is that you? Can you do it? Yeah. Yes, I can. Like, okay. And then I'll like on, on like, boom, where I'm in, I'm like, all right, well, I guess we'll figure this out as we go. And uh, I did, I shot, I shot all 10, like eight, it might've been eight episodes. But point is it it paid for my entire trip to Australia a couple of months later. So it kind of worked out for everybody. Right. Well, there you go. Um, So this Canon program, um, one thing that is somewhat suspicious to me is when I go, I clicked on the application. Uh, I mean, obviously I can't, uh, apply myself, but uh, I wanted to see what the process would uh, would look like. And mm-hmm. I clicked on the application, and I go down, uh, you know, through to the very bottom, and there's a little check checkbox that says, "I agree to the program terms and conditions," which is what I was looking for. I couldn't find it anywhere else. 
and I click on that, and it just brings me to the Canon uh, Canada eStore general terms of conditions to use their website, but nothing specific to this program that they're doing. And this is this is a failure on their part, I think, because I think that it's supposed to link to a specific terms of use for this program, which would, I think, have some specificity to the copyright of images made during the enrollment in this program. Um, uh -huh. Because I have a suspicion that Canon would be granted unilateral, complete use of your images. They might not uh, ask for the copyright, but the language would be the uh, standard boilerplate, you know, worldwide, perpetual, sub-licensable, et cetera, uh, use of your images with no compensation. Um, so this could be, you know, a great marketing tool for Canon to show how uh, young um, upstart photographers and anything that they submit or uh, or utilize uh, through this program, Canon could then, in theory, and this is my theory, uh, I don't have the proper terms of use to substantiate it, um, but it would make a lot of sense if Canon was doing this specifically so that they would have a lot of marketing material from uh, you know new uh, new young blood photographers that they could then market to other similar photographers that didn't make the cut for this program. Knowing that, or thinking that, but we'll call it knowing it. What would you advise a twenty-year-old Don Com to do? Uh, I would advise myself to contact Canon directly and ask them that question and point out the flaw in the terms of use okay, uh, in this application. Um, as I'd probably be out in, in that case. But right. and unless I know definitively and clearly what happens to the copyright of my images during such a program like this, I'm not going to sign up for it. Uh, and if they don't mention one way or the other and leave that ambiguous, well, then I would own the copyright. So maybe you just leave well enough alone uh, because there's no mention of it anywhere. But you'd want to be concretely certain of that. And I'd want to have that in writing in some way, shape or form. Assuming, assuming they do not keep all the, the copyright, do you see value in this program? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I do. Uh, and and I, I kind of wish that there was like every company was doing it in a way that, I mean, there's ambassadorships through different programs. I mean, Panasonic sponsors me, uh, in, uh, in, in some ways that, you know, I, uh, I get to, I had access to a, a Lumix S1 camera prior to it coming out. And so I had a lot of fun, uh, playing with that and, um, and, you know, they, they value feedback and so on and so forth, and they can promote my images through their platforms. And, uh, and there's an exchange, um, this is a different way to do it where you're bringing people up right from the very beginning uh, and seeing how they can potentially grow. And I like that idea. I love that concept, especially because traditional education is changing or disappearing for that matter. Maybe you're it's changing taking, into this. You're also taking, you know, young kids who who are likely obviously going to have a, a very solid skill set uh, to, be, to begin with. These aren't going to be, be, you know, just any geek off the street just walking in saying, oh, I, I want to be a photographer and they're going to hand you a camera. So they're going to you're going to take a bunch of young kids and you're going to basically get them on the Canon path for one, but also even better than uh, a Canon user as a Canon evangelist. Uh, so for, for, from their perspective, this is a very good program. It, it's, it's not a lot, not a ton of money considering what they're going to get in return, but I would tell a young me go for this. This is f a fantastic opportunity. Um, 
obviously, you know, consult a lawyer, according to Don. But the, <laughs> the opportunity part of it is amazing because, um, as, as we mentioned, this the skill set, like the, to go out and develop your own skill set is it'll only cost you time at this point and an internet connection because there's so much of content available on on YouTube and many others where you can go out and hone your craft. Uh, there's no better time um, than now. There's actually no, also no worse time, which I can elaborate if you want. There's no, there's no more excuses, but what you have to do, here's the only excuse. Here's what you have to do, and this is the hardest part, is you have to find your voice. And that, that to me is the most difficult part. Like you can go out there and be, you you can know how to run a film camera and and be very technical and do all that. If you have no story to tell, you're out of luck. Yep. I wholeheartedly agree. And we'll talk more about uh, uh, skills uh, that you can improve in, I think our third story, but I wanted to break up that discussion um, with uh, a story in a slightly different direction. Uh, well, it's an entirely different direction, but uh, reported from DP Review, uh, Smug Mug Source is a new AI-powered raw file management service from Smug Mug. Um, and uh, so basically, uh, Smug Mug, uh, who's been in the uh, photo uh, organizing and collage and selling prints and in, in this photo space for a long time, and they recently bought Flickr and they've been doing a great job of uh, their stewardship over that platform as well. Um, they seem to be continually evolving what they do. Yeah. And, and I like that because they are really photographer centric. And uh, and I had been looking for a long time uh, for a service to uh, you know get all of my data into the cloud, but I don't want to be stuck with uh, you know a, an offering from a company like Adobe that's tied to a subscription to the their Creative Cloud platform. I would rather have an independent company, um, but most of them are just um, you know third party data hoarders, right? I mean, so I, I you, right. know, you pay per terabyte to, to get your data up into the cloud, or there's some unlimited options with certain caveats and so on. Um, and I was looking up uh, Synology, who makes the network attached storage devices that I use. Uh, they have one called, I think it's C2. And um, their cost, uh, I broke it down into uh, just over $6 and 30 something cents per terabyte, which isn't bad, but um, SmugMug's offering is actually pretty good. Uh, so up to 512 gigabytes costs $3 a month. From 512 to one terabyte, the price increases to $5. And for each additional terabyte of data, the fee increases by $5. Um, so it's $5 a terabyte, you get the software and I'm not sure exactly what AI secret sauce that they're putting into how they're organizing things, but they are able to read all of the major raw formats, including TIFF files. Um, and, uh, I didn't see, uh, PSD or PSB files in the list, but, uh, I'm sure that stuff like that could probably be backed up as well. If that's the format that you're uh, saving, I, I always save, um, a master file of, of, of an image. Uh, usually it's as a, as a 16 bit TIFF with any necessary layers. Um, and if I'm going to print or if I'm going to re-edit the image for whatever reason, you know, that's the asset that I would grab. And right. so it's great that, uh, TIFF files are on that list. Um, I got a lot of data. Uh, and so I have been hesitant to really, um, 
sink my teeth into one of these arbitrary platforms out there that are for everybody. Um, but this one now, not only being a place to store my data and have you know redundant offsite backup, but having the ability to catalog, organize, and see things on that side of it as well could be very useful because I'll be honest, I'm terrible at that. Uh, I've got some collections in Lightroom, smart collections as well, that I can catalog things based on specific metadata and geotagging if the images support that, which help me get at least somewhat organized. But uh, you know, I uh, if I wanted to find an image that I hadn't edited from two years ago, uh, mm -hmm. but I remember taking, good luck to me. Uh, I disagree with that, Don. When, when, when was the last time you were on the hunting trip up north? What year? Uh, Yukon was 2014. What month? September okay. and October. Yeah. Okay. So you made my point for me. That's the thing is, is I, I, I work the exact same way. So I'm a fan of backing up, backup, backup, backup. Definitely do it. Especially, you know, especially doing offsite. Hey, look at the floods in Europe. Look at what happened to you. Imagine if all you, you had all your backups in that room you're in now. That makes no sense whatsoever. Right. If something like that happens, you you want to have something off-site, which I do, but I do it all manually because uh, like yourself right there, boom, like you you knew when you were there, you knew what month and and you it, it it's more important than than you can imagine that you know that 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 you have this fabric of what you have shot and your progression, like your progression has gone well this way, it's gone up. Um and it's all tied. There is a there is a timeline to it, and so now sometimes you miss. Sometimes you think, oh boy, when was that? Like when was my daughter? When did she do that? Oh, I thought it was this month. It was probably six months earlier, and you end up having to go through your images to find something. This is a good thing. Yeah, it's yeah, a I good guess. thing to do. <laughs> so I, I I barely use keywords. Like I I am. So I'm I'm not a fan of these automated services. First of all, like like I I I I get it, but to me it creates more stress than it takes away because even I if you don't, don't use know. that, having a um, a photography centric company offering me cloud storage, um, right. I like that. And even if I'm not necessarily going to use their cataloging and organizing tools because that's just on the cloud and and I might not be using that locally. Um, it would potentially be helpful if I'm traveling and I don't have all of my uh, raw data, but I need to find something and it might be easy enough for me to locate it through whatever tools that they offer. But I like their pricing model. Uh, right. And uh, I like the fact that it's from SmugMug and they've got a proven track record for me. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how the SmugMug source rolls out. And I, you know, I think I'm going to test it. I think I'm going to get a subscription uh, and I'm going to throw... I don't know, a couple of terabytes of uh, of like finished work up there um, right. and uh, just see how well that handles it. Uh, and if if I like it, then I'll just take all of my um, uh, raw data that currently only really exists in one place. And that's a problem for me. And, and so I mm -hmm. want this to be the solution to solve it. I didn't mean to freak you out, Don, by saying that you shouldn't have it all in one place. I thought maybe you had it somewhere else. Hey, you know what? If that tornado hit my house, 
Um, then then that's really not good. And my my other idea is of, okay, well, uh, to prevent against theft or what have you, I could always put uh, a a NAS in my neighbor's house connected to my Wi-Fi network. And so that'd be a a fast backup connection. But if a tornado hits my house, it's likely not going to leave my neighbors alone. Depends Um, on your karma, actually. That could be a new problem. (laughs) Sure. So no, you're you're right. I I'm I'm all in on the back of the backup part sounds fantastic, and and the access to it, etc. Like that that does sound great. Uh, I just I don't think you need the AI portion of it. I don't think it hurts. Uh, I don't. It, <laughs> it, I, I'm not going to say it's going to help everybody, but it's right. it's. It, I don't think it's going to do any harm. The only possible yeah. harm that it could do uh, is again, it comes down to reading the terms of use. Are they using the analysis of your images? Um, for their own gain in other ways, right? I mean, how, how much could you know yes. Facebook uh, or internet. S- social media platforms um, use your images and the data contained within them, analyzing that to make money? Uh, and I sincerely hope that SmugMug doesn't do that. It's a very alluring um, option because I, I'm fairly certain other people are doing it. Um, what if it's out of their control? Well, I don't know. Uh, I'm assuming it's going to be in their control whether or not that happens with any data yeah. that's uploaded onto the platform. Um, well. There is no talk about um, if the data is uh, is encrypted, and and I'm, I'm assuming that there are security uh, measures in place to some degree. But I'm going to have to again dig in and see exactly how this all comes to pass. Okay, but if 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 now I'm not I'm not I'm not a hacker, Don. I don't know if you know that. What if like so if hackers can hack in and hold um, gas pipelines ransom, why can they not do this to anybody? I'm not pointing fingers at any one particular company, but how, why, why are they, is it, would they be incapable of holding your work hostage for money? Well, okay, the, the, the gas pipeline in the US, uh, just for clarity, um, they had left a VPN service on their servers that they were no longer using and hadn't been using for a considerable amount of time that was set up by a former employee that had Mm -hmm. reused passwords. And the login credentials for that were discovered by a third party that were then sold to another third party ransom company that simply logged in uh, and started doing whatever uh, dirty work they needed to do. So maybe this is a PSA to choose strong passwords and uh, <laughs> and close down things that you don't use anymore uh, yeah. from that perspective in that scenario. But I actually um, use I don't use password as my password because I'm not stupid, but I do use password backwards. Yeah. Monkey one, two, three. Right. Or three, two, one. If you're being savvy. Right. Um, <laughs> Never guess that. Yeah, yeah, but now I, I I use actually if we're talking passwords just briefly, uh, GRC.com, the Gibson uh, Gibson Research Corporation, uh, headed up by the wonderful Steve Steve Gibson. He's got a password um, generator, uh, and as soon as you go to the website, it just automatically generates some of the strongest passwords you'll ever see. Uh, you know, sixty four character random uh, uh-huh. characters, and uh, and I use those for all of my passwords these days. Okay. There we are. Um, okay, so let's move on to uh, to the next story. And this kind of goes back to the, the discussion we were having uh, before. Um, this was from F Stoppers, Seven Skills to Help Improve Your Photography, written by um, Ivor Rackham. 
And uh, I, I'm not going to read the entire article, but I do want to go through um, the, uh, the, the headlines and form a slight discussion around them. Uh, so number one, serendipity isn't serendipitous. And, and I it read literally that. Is. It literally is serendipity. <laughs> well, okay. I read this to mean, um, and I've said this before, that the harder you work, the luckier you are. Because yeah. the, the more scenarios you put yourself in for the potential to have success, the more success you're going to find rather than sitting at home and twiddling your thumbs, right? That, that's what I get out of that one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the point where you know, the more experimenting, the, the more the more hikes you go on, the more likelihood of you seeing beautiful wildlife that turns into a great image uh, rather than, you know, walking on city streets or hanging out in your backyard. Um, putting yourself in the location where that great image is going to be um, doesn't always mean a great image is going to materialize, but your potential for that is always going to be higher as a result. What is the motto of National Geographic Photographers? The uh, F8 and be there. F8 and be there. Yep. There you go. The be there is the most important part. Yeah. The mm -hmm. camera settings, as arbitrary as F8 might be, it just means that it doesn't matter. You know, you know it like right. the back of your hand. You don't have to think about that, but you have to be there. Uh, you want to take the next one? The next one. Uh, plan, plan, plan again. How much planning do you do in, in your images? I, some of the stuff that I do, I can take months to plan. Other times I just, uh, I already, you, you come across the scenario and it's muscle memory to have that, you know, knee jerk reaction. And then the shot materializes. Yeah. I didn't plan to be on the show today. So I, uh, <laughs> I plan nothing. I plan. That's why literally why I got married, Don, because she does the planning. Uh, no, I, I plan in terms of like like what strict what like what in terms of of the the definition of planning uh, I do I do zero I mean if you don't plan to photograph the international space station transiting the sun you're right. probably never going to get that shot right there are certain images that require you to be planning them um but at okay, the same time yeah, yeah you're right yeah but no, so I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm actually backtracking because that was a little bit over the top for 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 the listener. You're welcome. But uh, <laughs> no, like when I get a, a professional job, for example, like if I have to go shoot an event or whatever it is, I I, I generally plan somewhat. Like I know the the layout of the the venue. I know the the general. Um, schedule of what's going to happen, where things are going to happen, when they're going to happen, the order so that I am ready. I, I do like to skate to where the puck is going to be. That is kind of how I, I, I do things when, when I, when, it, when I'm being paid for something like this, if I'm just going to go out on and want, and want to shoot some things, I don't generally plan for that until I do, until I do plan. I wait a second, Don, I've been tricked into planning a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> realizing you? now, like I know when the sun sets, I know when magic hour is, I do a ton of, yes, they're right. Plan, plan and plan again. They're right. There you go. go. Don't just don't go out at high noon and expect to have good natural light. That's right? Unless you're plan. an infrared photographer, at which point you would be planning to be out at right. high noon. Um, so, but that, that doesn't mean that you always have to, uh, I've, I've played the long game for some planning things. Like I, I had the hunch that some succulents from South Africa would fluoresce under an ultraviolet light. So I reached out to a seller of said uh, succulent bulbs in Johannesburg and, uh, and they shipped them to me. And then 10 months later, uh, one of them started blooming 
and it was a light show. It was perfect. It was beautiful. But there was a lot of planning that went into that shot. Other times, I just walk around with an ultraviolet flashlight in my backyard and stumble across something brilliant and beautiful. Both systems work. Um, and sometimes when you plan stuff, some of those succulent bulbs, when they bloomed, I was expecting fireworks again. Nothing. Uh, right. So <laughs> uh, your mileage may vary. Um, but when you get a creative idea, sometimes it's worth just mentally fleshing it out and seeing exactly how many variables you might be able to control before you pick up the camera. Um, yeah, I, I'm three. just realizing now how much I do plan and it's kind of blown my mind because I, I, I do I do subscribe to the notion that the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle. And uh, that's kind of how it works with photography, too. No yeah, bleeding, don't bleed. Absolutely. That kind of leads to one of the later points, too. And we're going to kind of breeze through these. Uh, know your subject and anticipate its behavior. You know, the uh, best bird photographers are birders because they understand the birds, right? right. Um, the best portrait photographers know psychology to some degree to understand how to interact on a human level with their subject to get what they need out of that subject. Mm -hmm. um, even if I'm, you know, photographing insects in my backyard, um, I'll kind of make a mental note after failing to capture a bee in flight, exactly how much time it typically spends in a flower and how how far away it goes to the next one. And then so you get to, after an hour or so of working with the subject, you get to kind of predict how it's going to behave and when to press the shutter button down. So knowing your subject, I think, is important. Yes, uh, but that sounds like profiling, Don. <laughs> well, maybe stereotyping is a thing, um, but I mean, especially, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the excursions that I went on in, in the Yukon. Um, the, the hunters that I was traveling with knew the predatory animals in the area pretty well. They, they knew what, what to do when you encounter a grizzly bear. They, they knew uh, how to behave uh, for the safety. You know, I... I don't own a gun, but when I needed to, uh, you know, do the daily business uh, and you got to go to the outhouse, you take a gun with you because, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to be caught with your pants literally around your ankles with a bear staring you in the face. Um, know your subject and anticipate its possible behavior yeah, right. and be prepared for that, right? Lots of different okay. ways to, to, hey, it's just a, it's a life lesson there. It doesn't apply just <laughs> to photography. Um, number four, uh, uh, methodically hone your skills. Uh -huh. You know, uh, this kind of goes back to the uh, somewhat disproven, but still, I think, quite valid uh, 10,000 hour rule written uh, by uh, Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers where if you just spend 10,000 hours working on something, you're going to get good at it. Um, and I probably spent that amount of time photographing snowflakes and editing them alone with just that one subject. And yeah, I, you know, I'll toot my own horn on that one. I'd say I'm pretty good at it by now. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes I'm there's just no shortcut to the time spent on it. Right. Yep. Yeah. No, that that's, that's true. Uh, what if you do like 9,000 hours? It's like, nah, you're a failure. Yeah, you just you're not quite there yet. Uh, you got you got to cross that line. Um, yeah, it's all or nothing. It's kind of a pass fail on this one. Look look back, talk to Cannon, but a pass fail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but here's the what he he wrote he he wrote when you get your photos home, wait a few days before looking at them. Now, do you do that? 
sometimes. Uh, I, I mean, I'll I, I will I'll flag some things that immediately appeal to me. Like I'll just right. hit the P key in, in Lightroom just so that I have a, an immediate comeback to that, especially if I'm shooting focus stacked sequences of things. I just want to make sure that I don't miss anything and they all go into a collection. But um, I, I rarely edit something the same day that it's taken. Um, unless I'm just completely ecstatic about it, I usually wait a day or two. Do you have a, a like a like a back end um, uh, limit as well? Like, do you try to get everything done within three days, or you lose no. something? No, and and so that's problematic actually, because if if something goes a week without me touching it, it's likely going to go a month or more, right? Um, because my mind has gone on to new concepts and new ideas, and maybe that one wasn't strong enough, or maybe it really was. And I should revisit it. Um, and I've been shooting a series of images right now where I'm, I'm photographing flowers in ultraviolet reflectance. That's the direct observation of ultraviolet light, requires special lenses, modified cameras, special filters, et cetera. Um, and ultraviolet fluorescence, which requires regular camera gear, just a, uh, a no light in the room and shine ultraviolet flashlights on things and a, um, a just a regular ordinary image of the flower. So three of each flower. Um, I've been shooting them as they've been blooming and just putting them in a collection because I'm not focusing on publishing new work right now because I'm still shipping books. I still have 300 left to ship and then I'm done. So within coming, a week, everybody, I'm, sit tight. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to be done with that. And then I can start to focus on some of these creative endeavors. But I've been shooting them since the spring. Uh, and now I've got this massive collection that I, I'm sure I'm going to look back at some of them, and just say hard pass. And that one just right. didn't work. Um, <laughs> but I do remember one that I was, um, energetic enough about to just play with some cropping and some basic adjustments, not to do anything more with it, but it was, um, it was a photo of a strawberry flower and it was shot in ultraviolet reflectance. And it had this really cool black velvet feel to it, um, which I absolutely loved. And, um, and so th that one, I know I will come back to, but some of them, uh, you know what, if they just didn't pass muster, when I revisit them, they just, they'll stay in the dark. You, you are much like myself. I, I feel like, like you're a big momentum guy, whichever way it's going. Like for me, it's like, Hey, when the train is rolling, look out, it's coming to the station. Uh, good luck getting the train rolling sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the next one on this list, a uh, lot of alliteration here. I hate mm -hmm. when acronyms are forced and alliteration is also forced. Right. Um, proper prior preparation prevents poor pictures. Basically, that means learn from your mistakes. Right. Uh, and and I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I, I revel in my mistakes. This is one of the things that, you know, especially when you're faced with technical challenges that you don't really have a precedent for, and you might be the first person to walk down that path, or at least you can't find evidence online of other people making these same mistakes and the how to, to, to get past them. Um, you have to use that process as, as a point of, uh, I don't know, joy, uh, enjoy the, I, I love solving puzzles. And if there's 10 puzzles to solve to get a successful image and I spend the day and I solve three and I'm still failing, I'm going to bed happy because I solved some puzzles. And, and yes, right. there's still more to solve. And, and I might wake up with an answer that I dreamed about because you know, those puzzle pieces start to fit together in different ways. Uh, and you come to that solution. Don't think that a bad photograph is a waste of your time. No, it's a waste of your time if you just decide to learn nothing from it. 
Well, I've only ever taken good photos, Don, so I'm not really familiar with that. Well, then. Um, yeah. <laughs> Every frame of Rembrandt. Like that was, I worked on the movie one time, and they, they would yell that after pretty much every hour on, hey, every frame of Rembrandt. Because uh, obviously that's nonsense. Like, I, like yeah, I, I have made some, some terrible errors, just horrible errors, and then look back and go, well, I will not do that again. Like, like I, 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 I do take everything as every failure as a, a stepping stone to, to unfailure is uh is how i phrase it uh do, do you do the next was, one do, do you uh, do, do you do number six rarely i uh, i who, who n- number six is don't take your camera yeah like on purpose you mean yeah uh leave your camera at home and make a neurochrome instead oh yeah see i don't do that like like there are the occasional the occasional times where I'll go to a party or something like that. Not now, obviously. Uh, although we're starting again, but uh, uh, I, where I'm like, you know what? I just, I just, I just don't want to take pictures today. Like I, I've taken photos of every day this week, and I just, I want to not. But when I do, I don't go there. That's not true. That is, I'm now lying. I'm lying to you, Don, <laughs> and the listener. I, there are so many times I'll be out with my kids. And I won't necessarily have my actual camera and I'll point to some amazing light and just say, Hey, look at that. Like, that's pretty awesome. What do you think of that? And they'll, yeah, daddy. Looks, or, or, or my son will now at seven years old, will point that out to me. Hey, look, look at the light on that building. And I'm like, man, you're right. Like that you're doing it. You're, you're really yeah. seeing seeing it. So yeah, I actually do not, this guy's nailing it. <laughs> um, concerts that, that came to mind for me. I, I hate going to a concert, but well, I love going to concerts and I'm looking forward to getting back into that, uh, that space at some point, but I don't, I mean, I'm sure I've got my phone, but I disliked seeing everybody holding up their phone or sometimes tablets at a concert um, <laughs> and trying to do like the really, really awful rendition uh, and trying to live through that tiny screen rather than just enjoying the atmosphere uh, of that experience. Now, I know that there are concert photographers and that they're there for the actual purpose of taking photos of right. uh, of the performers, the musicians, et cetera. Um, and that's a different story. But if I'm going to a concert, typically it's to enjoy the experience. And that's where it makes far more sense for me to put that up in my head rather than taking a really grainy, blurry, really awful sounding video. I, I mean, maybe I'll do a, a selfie with my wife if, you know, if, and then the camera goes away. Um, right. And, and that's, that's just uh, a simple memory to be made, but it's nothing professional, uh, nor would I have uh, ever expected to get anything out of that environment. I, I'll often go for hikes and I could take the camera with me, um, but I just, I, maybe I want to get the exercise. Maybe it's just to smell the fresh air and feel a little bit of creative inspiration, even though I know the camera isn't there and not to feel bad about it. Because if I come across this beautiful dew covered spider web, I'd say, that's beautiful. I'm glad I saw it. Um, maybe the next time I come with a camera, but it's helpful to delineate those two separate things. It's funny. I go through when it, when I have uh, taken photos like that, and I go through them, and I, I kind of like I'm on the fence. Like, is this good? And uh, the mere fact that you ask that question to yourself means it's not good. But it, it, you're like, okay, is it good? I then think to myself, what if I hadn't had my camera and this picture never existed in the first place, and then I delete it. 
Yeah. Uh, and then if you hadn't wasted the time taking that picture that you then delete, how much fun or how, mother, uh, how much other enjoyable experiences could you have had if mm -hmm. you were not derailed by having your camera with you the entire time? Um, I always, I mean, you, you've been there. I know you, like you had your cell phone broken in the mosh pit of a Slipknot concert and you're like, yeah, I'm not doing concert photography anymore. Get it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, know. I, I Slipknot, not exactly my vibe, uh, not knocking them. Uh, I also don't like rap or country. Uh, so, you know, feel free to get mad at me for that, but yeah, take that Nas X. <laughs> um, all right. Number seven, this little, one can be somewhat mad. controversial. Um, yeah. Take a break from photography. Yeah. Well, is, is that at all helpful for you? Uh, has, um, has there been a significant amount of time, have months gone by when you didn't pick up your camera? And was that at all beneficial? Not counting these last 18. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, professionally, that's, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. If you were a concert photographer over the last 18 months, I mean, you might be getting back into it now. Uh, but you, yeah. yeah, your camera was collecting dust if that's what you were aiming to do. An extended break? No, no, I, I haven't done that. Um, I, I, I guess I get it. Um, you know, Ross and Rachel took the break, so <laughs> that didn't work out for them. So no, don't do it. I'm gonna. Agree. I, I think you're six for six up until this point. Number seven, I'm, I'm not on board with. I, I also, I, I would state though, don't force the camera to be used. Like I've seen yeah. a lot of people that do the 365 projects and they think it's just a wonderful way to just keep that creative juice flowing. And uh -huh. then it's like 11 o'clock at night, you haven't shot anything and you're just stressing out to just pump out some piece of garbage uh -huh. uh, just to say that you picked up your camera that day. That's not a good idea. Okay, it's um, been me and Adam every week on our show lately. So, okay, good. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. All hey, right. we should mention your show. Um, what is your podcast and where can people find it and you online? That wasn't even, a, I wasn't even mean to be a segue. Uh, we are the Two Hosers photo show, Adam and I. Adam Schwartz is, uh, he used to just be a, a physiotherapist when we started the show uh, 10.5 years ago. Which I'm going to make the claim here on your show, Don. I haven't even done this on our show. If anyone can prove me wrong, I go ahead. I will submit that we are the longest running weekly photo podcast in the world. Uh, tips from the top floor? Not every week. I've, I know Chris personally. I've, I've, I talked to him today. Uh, he, he, he does miss weeks because he'll be, when he was traveling or whatever, and he even told me, he even confided in me. He's like, yeah, you've inspired me to do more shows and make sure I get one out every week. So what about, yeah, he, um, what about Martin Bailey and his podcast? I haven't checked. Does he, has he done one? Now we have done a show every single one, one show per week, never two, one show per week, every single week for 10 and a half years now without missing one. Um, that's, that's pretty, uh, dedicated. Uh, some um, of them are terrible shows. I, I was going to say sort of like that 365 project. Sometimes you should have just maybe skipped that week, Alan. <laughs> a lot of times you're the guest on that week. So, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, 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 uh, go ahead. And, and if, if Martin Bailey has done it every single week for, I, 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 I don't want to put words into his mouth, but uh, I know his is one of the longest running, I'm but sure it, is. it would be a very tall claim. Be a very tall claim to, if, to hey, assume. Hey, if anybody has done week. it and not missed a week 
Okay, then I, I will eat those words. And I've missed many weeks on this podcast. It happens. And I'm, yeah, it happens. Okay, happens. anyways, you can ch- check us out at twohosers.com. Adam used to be just a physiotherapist, as I was saying, uh, when we started. And uh, now he's a physiotherapist and a professional photographer. That was the plan. Well, there Back we go. The Back to the show. Uh, you know, I think we've talked about skills and things to develop quite a bit um, in, in this episode. But I do encourage anybody listening to this, if you have any other tips... Um, that uh, you think didn't make that particular list, uh, give us a shout out at photogeekweekly.com. You can uh, write me an email. My email address is there. Uh, or you know, shoot me a note on social media or anywhere you can find me. Uh, and if I get enough response on that, uh, I, I'll uh, make that a, a future uh, story in another do you, episode. Do you, do, you, do you have a tip that like you said, hey, do I have a tip? I me. do. I do. Do, do you, do you want to uh, add one to this list right away? Mine will be very fast and, and, and good luck disputing this one. Uh, my, my tip was uh, know your camera with your eyes closed. Know it, like know exactly where, like where all the, all the buttons and the wheels and the dials are, know what they do, know how to achieve it, know how to change the aperture, the shutter speed, what, whatever it is that you want to do know how to do it with your eyes closed. Yeah, and, and some of the buttons will have like little nubs on them to separate them from the other ones, like the ISO button uh, on the top of the camera so that you can feel to know exactly what button you're pressing exactly. uh, without actually having to get you you know removed from the scenario uh, yep. of taking the shot. So get that uh, sort of that, that National Geographic F8 and B there, right? Know your camera yeah. blindfolded. But be able to make changes really quickly without having to fumble around. And so basically what you want to do is get so good at using your camera so it gets out of your way and you can just shoot. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, my tip was was a fairly simple one that I need to remind myself to do more often. Um, occasionally. You don't have to do this every time. But if you get a really good shot and you're really happy with it, also shoot a vertical of the same scene. Um and, uh, and I've, I've actually had uh, one photo that I really had to work to extend the borders of using uh, some content-aware fill stuff um, to make a magazine cover shot, uh, mm-hmm. which I would not have had to do had I shot a vertical of the same scene. And uh, Why don't you shoot verticals? I, I mean, I just I think that the scene looks absolutely fantastic as a horizontal. Then uh-huh. that's the, the what I want. But uh, and I do shoot some verticals if the scene that I'm seeing looks like it's going to be a vertical scene. I do this a lot with waterfalls or anything that does have that natural up and down type flow portraiture as well. Uh, but I don't shoot a lot of professional portraiture. Uh, so uh, you know my snowflakes end up being square. Uh, you know, so there, there, there's that exception as well. But if you get that killer shot, like even a landscape shot. Shoot yourself a vertical as well, uh, just to have it. You never know where it might come in handy. This is something I've started. The reason I ask is this is something I have started doing recently. Again, I've done it a long time ago and got away from it. And I think for me, the reason is, is because of the, the film school connection is I think of everything sort of in that widescreen because of the, the film aspect of it. And then I don't think of the up and down, but that has all been changing over the last uh, couple of years now at this point. But Excellent advice. All right. Um, Our final story uh, of this week, and I'm not sure how much of a discussion this one really deserves, but I I do want to mention it because uh, for, well, I think really since the beginning of this podcast, we've been mentioning stories of converting film cameras into digital cameras using um, various and sundry uh, apparatus, uh, apparati, 
I don't know what the plural of uh, apparatus is. Yeah, I don't is. know. Uh, Apparat, yeah. Anyhow, um, so this is reporting on uh, DP Review. Uh, 3D printed film canister and Raspberry Pi camera can turn an old film camera into a digital camera. Not We've true. seen many stories okay. like this before. <laughs> um, and this is actually one of the more compact versions of it. Uh, and so it's a, it's a Raspberry Pi, I think it's an, uh, a 0W, uh, which is one of their smallest possible units so that it can really fit in the space of film. Uh, also, in, when you step on it, you say, ow. So. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, small uh, lithium-ion battery uh, and the camera module that's currently available, which is the camera sensor in this thing. I, I don't know what I can really use in terms of scale. It's smaller. Maybe it's about a quarter of the size of my pinky fingernail. Um, yeah. It's tiny. It's absolutely tiny. Um, and it works. Uh, but that's one hell of a crop factor. And that's not going to be exactly what uh, what I would imagine uh, would be useful in any meaningful way. But still, if you could fit the entire, uh, you know, the battery I'm guessing goes where the film canister does. Uh, and if you could build this in a way that I could take um, my Canon AE-1 or even some of my stereoscopic 3D cameras that have two lenses uh, and, and two image circles and be able to create really cool stereo images with these beautiful antique cameras. I would love the ability to do that. But I think this format, this exact format will work 10 years from now, maybe between five and 10 years where you can yeah. get that sensor from being that puny diminutive little thing into you know, the sensor that would have been in a 5D Mark II, right? Uh, which is now yes. well over 10 years old. Uh, but that type of technology on a Raspberry Pi type level, that was a full frame, 21 megapixel, fairly serviceable camera sensor that I would love to have retrofitted in some way. Um, we talked in uh, the last episode about it was the uh, the LS45 large format 6.7 uh, 4x5 camera sensor that cost oodles of money, but it was built on a uh, a very old process technology. Uh, noted that it could only go up to ISO 2000, etc. If you could take that type of technology, build a 35 millimeter sensor, attach it to a Raspberry Pi, and have it work in an old camera, I would buy that. I got some bad news for you, Don. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'm sad to say, I'm very, I, I'm honestly, I'm sad to say this because I love this concept. When, when, when I first heard tale of this concept, it must have been at least 15 years ago, the first time you heard of this. Right. Yep. Like when, when it Probably. was first sort of like, oh, yeah, we have one of these now. I love this whole idea. I love old cameras, the build quality, the lenses, like the whole, the, that old camera smell, I like that. This ship has sailed, though. It's Are not you gonna sure? Happen. Yes. You know what? Uh, see, Alan, I've got, I've got here. It, it's uh, if I have a favorite film camera, and I've mentioned yeah. it before on this uh, on, on this podcast. It's a Rolidoscope. Uh, it's a stereoscopic 3D medium format film camera, uh, circa 1926. And medium format film is still viable. And, and there's no reason why I cannot shoot medium format film uh, with this camera, but it would be just so much fun to have this 
in a digital construct. And obviously, nobody is going to make a digital version of this. So I would have it to would convert this, to and I would have a my, lot of fun. My unicorn to do it. around town, too, Don. But <laughs> I don't. I'm not holding out hope. Um, no, this, this, this. I mean, I mean, sadly, every every day we we are losing people who uh, would shoot with old cameras. Now you are an outlier. You're 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 you know very young and have and and love it. And as am I. I well, not very young, but eh, ish. But I I do love. I still have my old cameras, and I would love to do it. I don't think there's enough of us to make this. Uh, uh, economically viable, and that and and that n- our number is shrinking every day because digital is pretty good. Like I like it. I've adopted it. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine uh, uh, not shooting digital. I still shoot film, obviously, but I've gotten so used to it and love it. I'm not sure I would bother unless now I have I have my list of specs that I would like this to happen. This this concept to to be what, what would what would that list entail? And and by the way, I, I should much. state I, I should state that you know there's a lot of film uh, stuff that's still being produced right now. I just backed um, Cosmo Photo Agent Shadow 35 millimeter black and white film uh, on Kickstarter, and um, and they uh, they just met their goal I think uh, a day ago. And it's, yeah, it, it, it's a, a black and white film emulsion, ISO 400. And I'm going to get, uh, I think, six rolls of that. And uh, I will put them in my freezer and forget about them. But the fact is <laughs> that they are still being made, and I want to support that industry. Sure. No, see, see what, what you, you said, oh, the, the, the 5D Mark II uh, sensor. I go way lower. Like, I need six megapixels. So you make a little a little sensor. Or not a little, it's obviously a full frame, but you make a sensor that even on a full frame is six megapixels. Now, these are the cartridges you'd put in as if it was a film. Uh, now, here's the, here's the thing is, for me, it could just be black and white. But if you want to make a color, go ahead. You make a color or a black and white. I don't care. But you can't, no choosing in between. What you what you put in, that's what you get. Right. Okay. ISO is fixed. So you you get either buy a 400 or you buy a 1600. You, you probably buy both, turns out. So you have no no external settings. You put it in. This reminds me get. of the awful uh film canister camera setting thing that the Yashica uh, Y35 used. Right, but mine would be good though. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> But here's where it has to like the big thing is it needs to have synergy with the camera, meaning like it it like it has to be a self-contained. Now this Raspberry Pi thing that you're talking about, you have to leave the shutter open because the shutter doesn't actually operate the the picture taking mechanism. Am I correct? Yeah, uh, and and so uh, I mean that it would it would function like film uh, in the sense that, um, and I'm not sure exactly how the software would work, but it would uh, in my opinion it would always be recording. Uh, and then when the shutter opens and collects data, uh, the software detects that the shutter has been opened and then closed. Right. At which point it saves the file and starts recording another one. Okay. So th- we're okay. Now we're getting, we're getting there, but it, it, it doesn't, I thought the shutter had to be open all the time. And then you actually trigger the device to take the picture. Maybe I, I misread that. Um, I, I would need everything to be self-contained. Like for example, the advance lever on, on your 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 camera would not only arm the shutter, but it would uh, it would it would possibly charge the the device for that one photo. To I would charge like to it have that. with like that. Oh, that would be interesting. Like some sort of yeah. 
uh, you know, mechanical power system. Um, yeah. Huh. Uh, I don't possible. think possible. That- the guy who sells books on the on the Internet just landed on the moon this week. Yeah, true enough. Uh, not not quite the moon, but I get you. Um, and read uh, the headlines, Don. <laughs> uh, he spent five minutes in space, um, but also brought Wally Funk um, with him, um, who was a, uh, a Mercury 13 astronaut woman. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with uh, what happened there, they had a whole team of women astronauts that were fully qualified, uh, qualified to fly into space. Uh, none of them did. Uh, right. That was way back when. Uh, Wally is now 82 years old and uh, just got her space wings. So that was uh, that was for me. That was the big win uh, from the Blue Origin uh, flight. But I digress. Uh, we're getting <laughs> off topic. But no. I, so <clears throat> I agree with you. I I wouldn't mind the ability to uh, to change the ISO via a smartphone. So I mean, no controls, mm-hmm. uh, but have the ability to change that uh, within reason. So you've got an app to communicate, and then that app on your phone would be where all of your photos would live. When you press the shutter button, it would be you know streamed rather than having uh, necessary local storage in the camera itself. I think that would be a nice convenience. Although local storage could be fun as well. Um, just stick a micro SD card in there. You've got enough space. Think of the, not only, not just, not just the R and D on this, but the per cost, the cost per unit, uh, on this, and they're going to sell it to you and four other guys. What are you willing to pay for this? A thousand dollars. Wow. A thousand. You heard it. Don, your Don's in for a thousand. Uh, if it is awesome and, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and it's available in stereoscopic 3D. Well, okay, there. That's a that's a big what if. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, Don Don will do it. Also, throw in a ride on Blue Origin two, and he'll he'll photo, he'll live stream the 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 rocket launch. There you go. Uh, I'd be happy to live stream it from within that capsule. All right. All right. Uh, that ends the stories for this week. Alan, thank you very much for enduring that. Uh, I really appreciate your opinions on most of them. I won't tell you which ones I don't like, but uh, no, uh, thanks for being on the show, but we still have our picks of the week to get to. Uh, what have you got for me? I bought a GoPro, Don. Can you a see that? GoPro that is totally out of the you know mid two thousands. Yeah, yeah. No, I bought the GoPro Hero Eight Black. It's a long name for a GoPro. I'll be honest with you. Uh, no, so I, I I recently my daughter turned ten, and a week before she turned ten, I thought, hey, you know what I should do? I should make a highlight reel of her entire life this week. And. Uh, <laughs> I'm not joking. It's not like I had a year and a half of doing nothing where I could have accomplished this. Uh, I decided to do it. I really did. And I thought, okay, well, I've got all the home video that I've shot of my kids very well organized, actually. I might, I must say so. And uh, so I, I, I started going through and just started ripping through and editing it all together. I got my, my daughter's first, I, I, the deal I, I set my, I set parameters. I said, I'm going to su- have one song since I'm not publishing. This, this is just for in, in-house. So I'm going to have one song per year. That was my, okay. I, had, I had to cut everything down. Now I don't shoot that much video of my kids. Like, three hours a year or something like that uh, when, when it's all pieced together. Not all at once. That'd be a boring three hours. But the, uh, the, so the various events that we do, et cetera. So I got it all down to 37 minutes. But at some point, 
about three years ago, I decided I was going to buy one of these knockoff GoPros. I call it a faux pro. And it was about 60 bucks. About 60 bucks on Amazon. And it, it was fine. It came with a waterproof, uh, waterproof housing. And the footage was there. It was it was kind of what you would get from the fake film canister thing. But it, it was it was fine. In terms of quality, but in terms right. of content, it was out of this world. Like I like I look at some of the stuff we got. Like we go ice skating and and in the swimming pool and skiing, and it's good. But the 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 footage is bouncy and not you know not great. So I thought you know right. what, I love this footage so much. This is priceless stuff. I'm going to look into what a GoPro costs. Now the GoPro eight with the the. Um, the digital image stabilization and blah, 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 and the 4K, which I don't really use 4K necessarily in the slow-mo. It was 300 euros. That's a very reasonable price for the technology packed into that package. It is. I ripped them off as far as I can tell. Because <laughs> I, 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 I've just got it recently, and I've shot around a little bit, went to the pool yesterday, and then the day before with my son, shot a bunch of stuff, shot some slow-mo of my daughter diving into the water. It is out of this world. And I'm not going to shoot a ton of slow-mo of my kids. Like when, I, when I did the video of my daughter, like it was already emotional enough, obviously. It's the 10, first 10 years of my daughter's life with Taylor Swift and you know singing in the background. And oh, don't, don't tell her I said that. Okay. Did did you um, include footage of her crying over the bicycle? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I, yeah. I include all the everything, Don. I I include. I did include the last time I was at a concert when I was the concert photographer, and I got to bring my daughter, and she sat in the front row of the Carly Rae Jepsen, and Carly Rae Jepsen pointed to her during "Call Me Maybe," and that made the video as well. But awesome. Yeah. So great, great, great time for her. But the p- point is the technology. The, the, the video I've been shooting with this, this image stabilization going down the, the big silver slide at the, at the pool. I can't wait to shoot ice, uh, ice skating. I can't wait to shoot skiing. I'm going uh, off the diving board with this thing and, and the stabilization. It is out of this world, even if it's just for home movies, which is what mine is for. Fantastic. So that was the GoPro um, Hero 8 Black that you have? Yes, that's whatever order they say those in. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but now, see, I looked at it like like, like I, I did a little bit of research. Obviously, the, the GoPro Hero 9, obviously better. It's plus one. But it was considerably more expensive. Had some features I don't necessarily need. The 8 has some features I don't necessarily need. But the seven to buy new is about the same price within a couple of bucks. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go for the one that's waterproof sure. right out of the box, has the the, the updated uh, hyper smooth. The hyper smooth, Don, I'll send you some some couple. I'd like couple to see of it. Yeah. Clips. It is. It, it blew my mind. So my home movies are about to get a step up. Well, thank you very much for that recommendation. Maybe I should get a, a GoPro as well. Take a look at uh, the differences between the models and make my purchasing decision as my daughter is five years old now. And uh, there's some really cool moments that I'm sure if I capture now um, in five years, uh, I will be able to do the same as you, sir. Indeed. Uh, and uh, now that all takes data and storage, and we've been talking a little bit about that today. My pick is actually something that a lot of people don't realize could be could be useful. Um, this is a uh, an Ethernet adapter. It's actually a USB C 
uh, Ethernet adapter from TrendNet. Um, the, a lot of network attached storage devices right now uh, are starting to include 10 gigabit Ethernet ports. A lot of routers are as well. Um, but uh, you might not have the connectivity speed to your, uh, your data beyond a one gigabit connection. Uh, you know, on a laptop, you know, depending on your Wi-Fi and your range and all that, it might not quite get uh, as fast, although that's always changing too. I like to keep my uh, network devices, uh, my, my NAS off of the, the general connection to everything. So I just connect to it directly. Um, and I bought a TrendNet a TUC as ET5G. It's a five gigabit Ethernet adapter that just plugs into a USB-C port on my laptop. Um, most uh, storage devices can't fully utilize 10 gigabit. They'll uh, top out at you know two or three or something like that. So five gigabit is the most bandwidth that USB 3.1 can utilize. Um, I can't remember how much this thing set me back, but I believe it was in the double digits. So it wasn't terribly expensive uh, to, to, to buy this device. And it uh, it gives, just gives me a faster connection than uh, like when my um, I'm using a, a Surface Book three and it's connected to the dock. The dock has a gigabit Ethernet port on it, and that you know I could use for my wired uh, internet connection if I wanted. Um, but if I just plug this in either to the dock or to the to the laptop itself, uh, then I get a much speedier connection. And it doesn't cost a lot to get that. Might save you some time, uh, at the very least, especially when we're dealing with um, you know high-resolution video files. At least I've been doing a lot of that stuff lately. Uh, you know, forty-plus megapixel images with full memory cards. You really want to offload that as quickly as you can. Uh, and so, for a couple of dollars here or there, uh, find those efficiencies where you can. And they make five gigabit Ethernet adapters with a simple little USB port on them. Um, so that's my pick photo geek weekly. Yes. There's that geek coming back, you know, talking about tech and photography and all things on this podcast. And so thank you to everybody that listened to Alan and I geek out about photography this week. Um, you can find the show notes to everything we've discussed at photogeekweekly.com. Uh, and again, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for this show, you can provide them there as well. Um, before I sign off, uh, I do appreciate that there have been some positive reviews of the podcast posted to iTunes and elsewhere lately. Thank you very much for those that have. Uh, and if you haven't, and you want to just put a good word in there, you would have my gratitude for that as well. Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, and uh, I'm really hoping I get my second vaccine shot in my arm. Um, but before I, I do that, I'm still still going to say it is time to stay in and shoot. <laughs>